at one stage this afternoon, I thought we would just be sitting around a couch drinking chocolate and talking about snails. But um, I, um, I, I'm, I'm a bit... Your, your question, what would you do, you know, what would you bring um, if you were asked to do a prayer at an Anzac service? And at one level, it's like, you know, Anzac is in some ways glorifying war as much as it's remembering those who have given us our freedom. So there's this weird, weird space that is the day of remembrance that I think it's important to remember because we don't want to go back there. But I'm reminded of a, um, a story that Tony Campolo once said about a minister that was asked to take a service of a, of a in the days when homosexuality was actually illegal in New York. And he was asked to take the funeral of a... Um, of a, a guy that had died, and um, Tony Campolo rang him up, and the guy, he used to say, nothing happened. You know, what happened to you last week? Oh, nothing, nothing happened. And so Tony Campolo said to him, what happened Tuesday? He says, oh, Tuesday, yeah, that's right, Tuesday. He said, I was, I was rung up, and I was told that I had, you know, that this guy needed a funeral, and no one in New York wanted to do it. So he said, I decided I'd do it. And um, he went along, and he sort of said a few words, like, you do at a funeral. And then he said, well, is there anything that, you guys want me to say or do, thinking that, you know, they'd have some pretty weird stuff. And one guy said, yeah, can you read the passage from Romans 8 about nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? And he said, I was profoundly impacted by these guys that had these texts where their mate had died that wanted to give them hope. And it made me realise, I think, um, if ever I was invited to speak, I'd speak on the basis that we're actually meant to be a community of hope that says, doesn't matter what happens, there is always something beyond. And in many ways, I think that's what I'd do. I'd, I'd bring that same passage to say, look, it doesn't matter where your faith lies. Uh, it's not up to us to judge. It's up to us to present um, a different story, I guess, a counter story. And uh, always, always profoundly impacted by that. And Bonhoeffer. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is an interesting read. Died at 39, six weeks before the end of the war. Um, you know, and he was always, I was just saying to Mark, he was already a profound thinker. Um, he, his, his heart was just to see people really connect their, their Christian faith to the, the real life, and I think that's what we're about here. Um, and he, he went through a huge crisis of values to... to agree to sign the Barnum, the, um, I forget what it's called, the, the document where a number of key people actually went to, to kill Hitler and he even said, I, he said, I'm willing to actually myself lose my salvation in order to take Hitler out so he doesn't kill any more people. And that was, that was how he saw it. So he went to death not even being sure of his own salvation based on the fact that he stood against his own value. Phen phenomenal guy. And I wonder what it would have been like if he'd, he'd carried on. But anyway, we're not, we had to talk about snails. I was actually having coffee. I was having coffee with a guy the other day, and he, he was talking about where he was speaking at a, a Chinese church that he spoke at, and he said, what, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be talking um, about, in our series about, you know, just God, God of justice. And um, it, it made me think about snails. I, I remember when when Joel was about three years old, we were walking down our, our path back in New Zealand, and he said, Dad, Dad, stop. And I said, what, what, thinking it was something really important. He said, look. I said, yeah, it's a snail, and I went to walk on, but he wouldn't let me walk on. He actually stopped, 
and he stared at it. He didn't pick it up and eat it. That's what I used to do. But he stopped. He stopped, and he reminded me about the snails. I'd forgotten about snails. Where do you find snails? Everywhere. Everywhere, but they're on the ground. What do you have to do to see a snail? Look down. And let, wait for it to rain. True, but you've got to look down. You've got to look down. You do have to wait for it to rain. But in order to see the snails, you've, you've got to... And Joel helped me remember that there's such a thing as bugs and dirt and snails. It's a massive... I can remember coming home to Truden. I, I don't know if you remember it, but I said, it's amazing. Snails. It's, it, was a, it was a very profound moment. Or... This is what my topic was, the poor you'll always have among you. Not saying that poor people are snails, but sometimes we've got to actually use the analogy that we forget to look down. Um, we've been looking at the whole thing of, of just God, just people. What does it mean to be a community that connects? And, and I, I chose this topic because, um, again, we're going to look at it a little bit more biblically and theologically and we've talked about poverty and, and the likes at one level, but I think it's, it's, um, it's a topic that we should never forget because when you actually look through the whole of the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, it keeps coming up on God's lips. And if it comes up on God's lips repeatedly, sorry, that sounded very Kiwi, didn't it? I, was, uh, I, was, uh, I forgot that. Lips, lips, lips. God's lips. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, but, um, it, it obviously is very important. But the problem is that, that God actually contradicts God's self in the Scriptures. Do you want to see that? Of course everyone wants to see that. They want to see how the Bible contradicts itself because it actually says in Deuteronomy 15.4, there must, must be no poor people among you because God is going to bless you lavishly in this land that God, your God, is giving you as an inheritance, your very own land. Just before they're about to head into the promised land, God says there should be no poor people in this land because it's going to be a land of abundance. Um, and I sort of thought, well, that's very much what people say, actually, when they come out from overseas to Australia. This is, this is an amazing country, you know. The problem is that um, a few verses later, God forgets what he says. And he says here, see, same chapter, he says, there are always going to be poor and needy people among you. So on the one hand, there's got to be no poor, but there's always going to be poor. And... In many ways, we're confronted by these texts because even Jesus um, repeats what God said second time. And you'd think that because he was, Jesus was God's son. Um, you'll have no poor with you every day. You'll, sorry, you will have the poor with you every day for the rest of your lives. Not so with me. You won't always have me. And I've actually left a piece out deliberately because we've actually got to see it in context to actually see what he was saying and think what that thing about you'll always have the poor among you uh, is all about. Because when you actually think about it, and we looked at the stigmas of, of this when we, we did debunk some of the myths, what were some of the stigmas about poor people? They don't work hard enough? They don't work hard enough? Cursed, cursed, yep, fate. They don't have much money. Yep, that's right. Yep, they, what was that? Not taking, their Not taking their opportunities. So these were all the stigmas that we looked at because, you know, often um, when it comes to poverty, we know that poverty is not necessarily about our 
perspective and nor is it just a state of mind. It can actually be a, a state of existence. Uh, and I think that one of the things that comes out profoundly when I, when I think about this from a biblical point of view is that um, there's a constant reminder to keep looking down. And that's because poverty sits in a structural hierarchy of life. Um, the fact is that every single one of us are poor in some sense, as much as we're rich in some sense. And so I want you to think about for a minute, what is poverty? Uh, I know that Beck covered this a little bit, but I want, to, want you to think and talk among your groups. What do you think poverty is? What are some of the things that make up poverty? So just have a, have a chat for a few minutes and then we'll come back and just see what we think. the button? Sure. Yeah, I'll tell you when to push the button. All right, don't push the button yet. Yep, push that button when I ask you to. You have a seat and you tell me. All right, let's, um, let's come back. What, what did we decide some things uh, that, uh, what's poverty? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, some people are so poor. That's that's where where I think we need to head, really, at times, don't we? Because as soon as we think of poverty as not having money, we miss what poverty is. So, what do you mean by that, Deb? That's right. Yeah. I was much happy when before smartphones. <laughs> With smartphones came Angry Birds and Candy Crush. <laughs> so I'm time for sorry. Um being aware. Being where? Where? Aware. aware. Yes. Yeah. Being aware can be yeah. What else? So having no money is definitely there so you can't afford the basics. And that's relative, isn't it? I'm not talking about your uncles and aunts because I've got a rich uncle and a, and a poor auntie. But they, I'm talking about, I'm also, sorry, I'm talking, yeah, that's right, relative because, you know, people, people in Australia need a different minimum than, say, someone in, in other countries. And so it's really important that we have, a, we have an attitude that is, that is not just about Poverty here or poverty there, yeah. One more thing, what else? Inequality? Yes. Yep. Yes. 
Yeah. And there's been, and, yeah, sorry, my phone's just buzzing. But I think, I think that's important that we recognise that there's actually a, there's a, there's a poverty of, of um, what we call a social poverty, where in fact there is still oppression today, even if you've got stuff. You know, some of that thing of, um, it came out with the um, South African farmers are being kicked off their land and killed, but they're saying, but we rightfully bought that. But what they don't realise is the person that bought it before them stole it. So you've got this, you've you've got this weird thing going on of of what is what is right and what is wrong. But in the end, what it comes down to, I think, is not so much, you know, because each one of us, are, like I said, have got an area of being poor and also of being rich, and it's about recognising as much who we are and what we have as to what we don't have or or who is not. So if we just move through charisma, let's go one more. There we go. I think that the issue of this, the poor you'll always have among you, you know, and you go, yeah, but what's that about? I think it actually starts all the way back in Genesis 4. Because in Genesis 4, you have this weird story about Cain and Abel, and, and Cain and Abel, do, uh, Cain's the, the, um, the producer of, of um, carrots, snails, you know, come along and eat his carrots. Whereas Abel's the producer of, of sheep and everything, and, and Abel takes the best portion to God as, a, as an offering. Cain takes some good stuff. And God looks at Cain's stuff and says, Oh, Cain, you could do better. Abel, he says, Well done, all up, that's really good. Cain gets really jealous, and then he says to his brother, Let's go out to the field. So they went out to the field, and the Bible says in the Hebrew, And then Cain said, we don't know what he said, but it just says dot, dot, dot in the Hebrew. But in the Bible, it says they went out to the field and then Cain killed his brother Abel out of jealousy. God comes along and doesn't rebuke Cain. He actually invites a conversation. Fascinating story. God invites a conversation. And what does he say? He says, the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And then Cain says... I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? What did God say? He said nothing. Do you know why? That's a stupid question. You look at the Bible, it says nothing. It just says the blood of your brother's crying out to me. So God doesn't say, yes, you are. But that's the, that's the underlying question that actually rides, I think, across every society, every strata, every structure. Am I my brother's keeper? And God's not going to answer that because that's a stupid question. <laughs> really, isn't it? And so you've got this underlying story. If you actually keep this in mind, am I my brother's keeper? Because when there's jealousy or when there's something that's in the structure of a relationship, you get the wrong shape of the relationship. It's never equal. It becomes an unequal relationship and you forget to look down, you forget the snails because the other becomes the snail to you. All right, let's carry on. You see, the thing is that when it came to... Yeah, next one. One of the things that you've got when you actually look through the whole of the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, is this underlying story of they shall be my people and I will be their God. In order for them to do that, you're to, to remember a few things. First of all, 
You're to be, uh, treat one another justly, love your neighbors, be compassionate with each other. Don't take advantage of widows, not black widows or redwood, redbacks, right? Not, you know, orphans, um, visitors or strangers and the poor. Now, the strangers were those, what they called the sojourners, those people that would wander through your land from other places who you know would be, be strangers because they wouldn't look like you, they would, they would dress funny, they would eat funny things, they would talk with a funny accent, do not comment about mine. And then you've got this weird stuff going on where if they're a stranger, I don't know whether or not they're my enemy. Or my neighbour or brother. It, normally you'd know your family, but the stranger could very well be the one that's come to destroy you. Why? Because the world lives in this weird space of hierarchy of, am I my brother's keeper? Well, not anymore. Think about Cain. But it's very interesting that this word poor comes in charisma. Because the poor, next, yeah. The poor is the word ani. And it's used occasionally through the Old Testament. There's a number of terms for the poor, but this particular word is actually the forgotten ones, the nameless ones. It's a little bit like the caste system in India. You've got the, the Brahmin class, and then you've got these other castes, right down to the untouchables, but there's actually a caste below that. They're not the, the untouchables exist. They're there to be seen. But there's actually a caste I've heard that is actually the ones that hide underground, that are not seen. They're the ones that the untouchables kick. You know, you get kicked by the boss, you go home, kick the cat, etc., etc. The the Ani are the, the forgotten ones, the no-names. And it's fascinating here that God says, you shall, carry on, next one. You shall actually remember the Ani because this is what God does. I know that you, God, are on the side of the victims, the Anna, that you care for the rights of the poor, the Evion. The Evion were the, the needy, the, the, the oppressed, yes, but they weren't, they weren't the low, low. God is on the side of the Ani or the Anna, and you care for the rights. And notice what it says in Psalm 10 here. You hear the, desire, the desires or the cries of the no-names. In other words, charisma. God remembers and hears the snails. God thinks about the snails. Do you get the picture? Do we look down and see the snail? Because you see, this is, this is what we continually see. Let's carry on to the next one. It's amazing what Jesus said. He said, God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor. Sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burden and the battered free, to announce this is the God's year to act. It's interesting that the burden and the battered, uh, to, to set free the oppressed and the poor, if you like, would be a similar equivalent to what we've seen in the Psalms. God is for the poor that in the days of Jesus were actually considered cursed, Something had gone wrong. Who sinned? Something was, was wrong with them. They obviously didn't work hard enough, etc., etc., because look at us. I'm glad I'm not like them. And it became this strated 
society where people said God can't think of them because guess what? They are poor. And yet again, let's see what he says next. Blessed are you who are poor, Luke says it. In Matthew it says poor in spirit. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. This was totally radical thinking. Because what Jesus was actually saying is God is not just aware, sorry charisma, is not just aware of these people. God is actually giving them what? The kingdom of heaven. Fascinating turnaround of events. This doesn't sound like the God of the rich. This doesn't sound like the God of fate. This sounds like a different God. And again, what we see, charisma, Jesus remembers the snails. Which is actually good for those of us that might consider ourselves snails. It's true, isn't it? God hears the cry. And it all starts, stems from this thing of what we've been saying, charisma, thanks. What we've been saying is learn to do justice all right, seek justice, defend the oppressed or the poor, take up the cause of the fatherless, please the case of the widow. Again, it's the sense of what is the job, what is the responsibility of a community like this to remember the snails. But in order to remember the snails, we've actually got to know who the snails are. And we've got to be aware of the snails. Um, thanks. It's very interesting because when we... Um, when we um, talked before about, you know, you'll always have the poor with you, not so me. This was, the, this was the context. Just before Jesus died, Jesus was at Bethany, a guest of Simon the leper. While he was eating dinner, a woman came up carrying a bottle of very expensive perfume. Opening the bottle, she poured it on his head. Some of the guests became furious among themselves. That's criminal, a sheer waste. This perfume could have been sold for well over a year's wages and handed out to the poor. My question is, why wasn't it done beforehand? What, why, why didn't they do something about it? Now, I know that this is a woman's gift. This is someone else's gift. But it's very interesting, they're thinking of that in relation to someone else's gift, not what they had. They swelled up in anger, nearly bursting with indignation over her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why are you giving her a hard time? She has just some, done something wonderfully significant for me. You will always have the poor with you every day for the rest of your life. Quoting Deuteronomy, whenever you feel like it, you can do something for them. What's Jesus just done? He's given us the responsibility to remember the snails. This person, that person, they should have done something. But Jesus is actually saying, they're always going to be with you. Why? Because it comes back to Cain's question. Am I my brother's keeper? What do we do about that? And that's the challenge, I guess, when it comes to this. Next, thanks. You see, because... One of the things we see that we can do is, is not only it's not only about giving people something and remembering them, but it's actually providing justice for them. And it's fascinating because even in the Old Testament, the call to actually look after the poor is, is a call of justice, not of provision. Because when there is unjust society, there will always be a poverty. And in fact, when there's unjust society, 
The people who are most poor, I think is what Deb was saying, are those with a lot because they've actually forgotten who they are, their responsibility. But it's fascinating that Exodus requires us to actually do not deny justice, but if you go to the next one, you'll actually see that don't go along with the crowd and doing evil and don't fudge your testimony or case just to please the crowd. And then it says in balance, just because someone is poor, don't show favoritism. So it's not about going all over to, well, we're wrong if we've got money or we're rich or whatever. You know, the rich young ruler to Jesus, a young man comes and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He doesn't say, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What does Jesus say? <coughs> Obey, you know, what, what does the commandment say? Do not believe. He says, I've done everything. And then he says, Linda? Go and sell your possessions. And everyone thinks, well, that's actually a, a verse against having stuff. But actually it's not. What had the rich young ruler forgotten? To look at the snails. He had forgotten the snails. His issue was, that was what he needed to do in order to get back right with the mind of God. Because those who inherit eternal life or inherit the kingdom of God are children of the Father. Those who think like and act like and respond like the Father. Who remembers the snails? And when someone asks you what to grant, talk about, you go, see, we're not on about snails. What was he talking about? <laughs> but that's all right. No, no, but the point is, you see, but, but the thing about it is, is it, it's, it's actually recognizing that everything is relative. It's not actually asking us to go and eliminate poverty. We can't do that as individuals. We can't even do that as a community. But we can do something. And it's fascinating. You, oops, once again, sorry, I'll just kick you in the head. I didn't mean to. <laughs> yes, that's child abuse. Anyway, yeah, next, next. It's fascinating because when you go back again to the Old Testament and you see it again happening, it comes all the way through. What does it mean to be my brother's keeper or my sister's keeper? It's recognizing <coughs> that whatever you have, you can provide opportunity for those who are less off than you. So it says, when you harvest your land, don't harvest right up to the edges of your field or gather the gleanings from the harvest. Don't strip your vineyard bare or go back and pick up the fallen grapes. Why leave them for the poor? And again, this, this stranger that comes through. But they might be my enemy. No, everyone is our brother. In other words, sorry? Yes, yeah. But when I was thinking about this and thinking, but how can I land this whole talk? Because it, it sounds like I'm saying we've got to go out and eliminate poverty. No, the, 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 the challenge is, and I'll, I'll ask you this in a minute, who are the poor in my community? That, that Yes, the, the, the moneyless, those without money. But what, what, is, what is the poverty in my context? What do I have that can give that? The challenge is that everybody can leave a little bit for someone who is poor or a foreigner. What's your field? What's your context, next things? When it actually comes down to it, it's not even about having a lot. It's actually about taking what you've got and using it as you can. And again, I come back to the Old Testament and Kings. Elijah was running away from 
from a certain lady called Jezebel. Um, no, he hadn't got there yet. No, that's right. He was, um, he was out, um, out in the field. He was, he was told to go to a, a place where he was going to hear from God. And um, while, he was, while he was hanging out and the ravens, um, we won't call them the magpies because then we're talking about Collingwood. We don't want to talk about Collingwood. Um, the magpies, the ravens were actually feeding him. God says, stand up and go to a place called Zarephath. And at Zarephath, there's a widow and she's going to feed you if you can just bring that up. Thanks. At Zarephath, it says this in Kings. Get up and go to Zarephath and sit on and live there. I've instructed a woman who lives there, a widow, to feed you. So he went up and went to Zarephath. He came to the entrance of the village and met a woman, a widow, gathering firewood. He asked her, please, would you bring me a little water, water and a jug? I need a drink. And you might think, well, that's very rude. But in that culture, it was wrong to refuse people a drink. Uh, it's fascinating that Jesus said those who one day God will stand before God and he'll say to some, you know, um, go away from me, I never knew you. And they said, but didn't we say, Lord, Lord, we did all the right things, we said all the right things. But when I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. You know, there's, the, there's, this, there's this simple um, thing about providing for people where they're at. Um, that seems to be consistent throughout the scriptures. And he says, uh, what do you, I need a drink. And she went to get it, he called out, and while you're at it, would you bring me something to eat? She said, I swear as surely as your God lives, I don't so have much as a biscuit. This is the message, the massage version doesn't quite, doesn't say that normal. Um, I have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a bottle. You found me scratching together enough firewood to make it last a meal for my son. After we eat it, we will die. At which case... This is a very sad story. Oh my goodness. This lady is going to die and Elijah the prophet is coming along. God says, you've got to give me your last meal. But it's fascinating. Elijah said to her, don't worry about a thing. Go ahead and do what you've said, but first make a small biscuit for me and bring it back. Then go ahead and make a meal from what's left for you and your son. This is the word of God for Israel. The jar of flour will not run out and the bottle of oil will not become empty before God sends rain on the land and ends its drought. And she went right off and did it, just as Elijah asked. As it turned out, he said, daily food for her and her family. The jar of meal didn't run out and the bottle of oil didn't become empty. I'm not suggesting at all, like some people would say, that this is a theology of blessing, that you give $10 and God will give you 100 But what I'm saying is this, is that as a community and as individuals, we can begin to realise that I think Proverbs says those who give away, who, are, who have a meagre amount and give it away, find themselves gaining even more. But those who have a lot and hold find themselves with less. And it's fascinating how there is a sense that when we actually stop worrying about what we don't have and start using what we do have, so much more can be done with that. I guess that's where I, I would say that works. Because we don't want to get into a, a mentality of saying to people, if you need to pay a bill, don't pay it. Give it to mission. I would say go and pay your bill first because that's the right thing to do. But let God provide for what you need and let's together help with that. So it becomes a communal thing, not just an individual thing. Maybe next things. And I guess this is the question that I would rephrase from Genesis 4. Then the Lord said to us, where are the poor among you? Where are the poor among you? 
fix things. And I guess we've got to ask ourselves this question. The poor among us might be people that have a lot, but are poor in spirit. You know, have a lot, but lack in certain things. The issue isn't defining poverty purely in financial or material things. It's actually recognising those in our society and what we have to give. So for instance, I'd say Trudy can give of herself to help those who are emotionally impoverished because of her skill. You know, in, in your job, you work with people that are both physically poor but also emotionally poor. And you're giving your life to that. So that's, that's giving what you can. So we've got to think in very practical terms because I think that is what the Lord asks us. Who are the poor? Are we actually being aware of the snails? Thanks, Charisma. I like what Stanley Havervas says. Havervas says, he says, the task of the church is to pioneer those institutions and practices that the wider society has not learned as forms of justice. The church, therefore, must act as a pragmatic, par paradigmatic community. In other words, one that changes the paradigm of life in their community, therefore must act as a paradigmatic community in hope of providing some indication of, that, of, the world, of what the world can be but is not. The church does not have but rather is a social ethic. That is, she is, a social, she is, she is social ethic in as much as she functions as a criteriological institution. That is, as an institution that has learned to embody the form of truth that is, charity is revealed in the person and work of Christ. As Christ came and laid down his life for us, we're called to go and lay down our lives for others. And as a community, if the community is merely an institution that sits in a room and, and says good things but doesn't actually influence the wider society, what Hauvas is saying is that we're actually not standing in the right place of embodying what Christ called us to be. Thanks. And Megan Levy, who wrote about, um, she was writing about um, uh, liberation theology out of the 60s and 70s that started to see the systemic and the, the political issues that were happening in South America where the church was being called to bring salvation to this community. And a number of priests says you can't bring salvation to a poor person when the systems that they live under are actually, um, are actually unjust. What, what, basically what you're saying before, David. You know, this whole thing of injustice flowing through a political system that keeps people oppressed. We've got to be able to actually stand with those people and say, no, the, the world has to change. Life has to change. And by us actually engaging, not so much in the political activism, if that's not our area, but in just standing with people, that's actually showing a love that the rest of the world doesn't necessarily embody. And I like what she says here. We must challenge ourselves to change the thought, how can I make my neighbour better? to how can I be a better neighbour? And that's a challenge, isn't it? So here's the questions, and I want you to think about for a moment, whereas we near an end. Can we go to the next one? Thanks. What can I do? What can we do? What can I give? What can we give? What do I have or what do we have? as a community or as an individual that can actually meet the need of a person that is in poverty in our context? What is it that you have 
that might be, you might think it's your last meal. What is it that you do that you can offer to actually help change a person or a, or a community's lifestyle? And remember, it doesn't happen overnight. I want you to think about that for a moment. What, what do I actually have that I can give into an area of poverty that I see in my context? Whether it be an area of thought poverty, social poverty, political, financial, emotional poverty. And remember, the widow in Zarephath, all she had was a cup of flour and a bit of oil. And what I would like you to do is just perhaps if you're open to share, you do, not everyone has to share, but if you're open to share, um, perhaps if you, um, you just share for a minute or two in your groups, what is something that you have that you have been able to give or you can give people? You can give into the community. You can give to others. You can give into this community. So just have a chat for a minute and see where, the, where it leads. So I guess the whole of tonight hasn't been to make us feel guilty, but to recognise that if we're going to be a community of, of just people because we serve a just God that keeps reminding us of the poor and the widow and the orphan, it's, it's not that we forget the others. It's not forget that we, we live our life negating others. It's actually remembering those which we would consider the lowest, the forgotten, as equal to and worthy of the same respect as those that we would say other prominent. And like I said, if we're going to be a paradigmatic community, one that changes the paradigm, then it's not that we always oppose what is the norm, but we do stand and treat others in a way that society normally doesn't. And it can be simple as saying hi to someone that others wouldn't say hi to. You know, sometimes you might see someone that's struggling with kids at a supermarket, and it might be simple of going up and saying, hey, good on you, well done, know what you're going through. It's hard work, but I do, I do you know, just thinking about you. Stuff like that can change a person's day. And it can shift the way they perceive the church. The community. Your question mark at the beginning, what does the Anzac crowd think of the church? This sort of stuff changes them. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. That's the framework of what we've been doing. And I would say that this basically means, in other words, don't forget the snail. You've been a wonderful group tonight. So go out, look down, see the snails, and then give what you can. Lord, I just pray that uh, each one of us would not um, 
feel overwhelmed by the need that's out there. And Lord, we may ourselves have an area that we need support in and, and need help with. So I pray that as we as a community um, do life together, that we can help one another in the area of need, that we can give out of our abundance to those that don't have in other areas and that we can share together. But more than that, that Lord, when we see a need and we can meet it, that we wouldn't look past it. We become numb to, to so much that's going on in the world. And I do ask that you would, in your grace and goodness, show us what our fields are, what we can leave and what we can give and what we can do to continue this conversation of, of grace and that we can be your children who also hear the cry of the snails, the, the uneven, the forgotten ones. And in doing so, that we can be a community that can help affect change in simple ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Ryan. It's good.